This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Go out there like anything and do it. Get experience. Learn, see if you're good at it, see if you want to do it, and then try and, and develop that and work really hard to, to be as best as you can. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You're now listening to The Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways alongside a vast experience on individual player and team performance analysis. And as part of our insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. Today I'll be joined by my co-host Ben and our very special guest, Saul Isaacson Hurst. Saul is a one-to-one technical development specialist with over 10 years of experience working in Premier League Academy football as well. Uh, so if you could just welcome Saul. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, thanks for being here, Saul. I just want to, you know, just to give the listeners a bit of a backdrop around where your coaching journey started and how you, you know, come to be known as a one-to-one technical development specialist, not just nationally, but internationally. Uh, I started my coaching career sort of post-university. I was played football at uni in, uh, for the team, captained the team at uni, and then sort of went to America for a couple of years to do some coaching out there. Uh, while I was out there, everyone was like doing, you know, we do like privates as they were called, we do some one-to-one on the side sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Came back to London and then uh, carried on doing that and got a job at Tottenham in the community scheme. Uh, worked my way up into the academy, uh, very much like a skills specialist and was doing individual stuff as well outside of that. Uh, spent six years at Spurs and then uh, left Spurs and went to Chelsea for four and a half years. Always while building up my reputation as an individual coach, I really sort of specialised in supporting players and getting signed as a, into academies and then you know gradually started work with more top end players and then uh, a couple of years ago left uh, Chelsea just to concentrate on my individual stuff and also my app my personal football coach which is like a individual training app well just just talking about your experiences obviously with Spurs and Chelsea there you spent six years at Spurs four years at Chelsea is that correct absolutely yeah yeah so just um, just starting at Spurs you know where did that was it from the beginning that you had a bit of a passion and you had a bit of a specialism at Spurs? Well, stuff or? well, I sort of did like, basically I was lucky, fortunate at the time because the way I coach very much technical skills based, what I'd learned to do in America, uh, Tottenham had just been taken over the academy. Uh, so they had uh, John McDermott and Chris Ramsey come in and they brought it very much more of like a Dutch Ajax style of coaching 
into the academy, which is very much based around ball mastery and 1v1. Mm. So uh, they were looking for more sort of technical-minded coaches. And so mm. when I came in and got an opportunity in the development centres and then worked my way up relatively quick, starting like with the sevens and then the eights and then doing the nines for a couple of years and the elevens and then working sort of as that sort of skill specialist. So it was very much the right place at the right time. And, you know, so Chris Ramsey saw me, obviously saw, the, the, you know, the... Uh, the qualities I had and then wanted me to work, you know, more within the foundation phase of the club because that's what they were looking for. Uh, and then sort of like they sort of continue to do that really. So like my philosophy based around individual brilliance on the ball and that, you know, developing that extreme technique as uh, Chris calls it, uh, really yeah. suited the club. So I was, I was fortunate. And how did, that, how did that transition in terms of you moving from Spurs to Chelsea? Did, they, did you go into Chelsea with them knowing that there wasn't going to be a particular role for you in that specialist role? No, well, I mean, I, 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 had, I basically, you know, I've done six years at Spurs, been an amazing experience, made, you know, amazing time there. But I, <coughs> I, always, I always had an ambition to work at Chelsea because it was and still is, you know, the biggest player on the block in terms of academy football in England, you know, really in terms of mm. their investment and, you know, and their mentality. You know, not to say they didn't have that Spurs, but I mean, you know, just in terms of, you know, you go to Cobham and you see what I mean, you know, at yeah, that time... Spurs didn't have their new training ground and stuff. So, uh, opportunity came there because I knew Michael Beale and then, you know, to come in and start working with the younger groups and, you know, very much, you know, uh, to try and do a little bit more skill stuff and 1v1 stuff. So, I was fortunate to work, fortunate to work with the, the eight, the eight, seven, eights, nines and, you know, mm. and, and, and working across the age groups there. So, it was a great experience, you know, it was great, two great academies. Yeah. My, my main reflections are, you know, working with the, you know, understanding how to work with elite players at Tottenham and the methodology which was unique and at the time and no one else was doing it in the country in terms of that technical program with young players and then obviously mm-hmm. moved to Chelsea much more about the mentality and uh, they had a real like world-class mentality in terms of the the mindset uh, all the way through and that was a real challenge you know, and really developed me as a coach and an individual as well. Mm. Just interested in, in terms of obviously you know, you've got a massive passion for obviously the technical side of things what was sort of Isaacs and Hurst like as a player then? Uh, wasn't very fast, so I had to be a bit more technical. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I never played at high level or anything, but I mean, I was I in a city London boy, so you know, grew up with like in the in you know the cages and the playgrounds of London. So Liverpool was technical, so that very much that one v one sort of domination bravado type thing is very much the sort of player I was and the sort of players I like to watch as well. So I mean, it was a natural sort of uh, affinity for me to yeah. start coaching that well as well because that's the sort of football I enjoyed to play and obviously enjoy to watch uh, and still do enjoy to watch. Right, and it was growing up, obviously you, might, you may have played in teams and whatnot. Was that quite a prominent thing in terms of the coaches that had been coaching you at, in, your, in your upbringing? No, of course not, because, you know, in English football was, wasn't really like that and still yeah. isn't really like that now. It's much more crash, bang, wallop and, you know, smash them mm. and get it forward, get it forward quick. And, you know, <coughs> like the, you know, general conventional English football is still generally based around, you know, let's move the ball as quick as possible, where it used to be a lot more, let's just stick it in the final third. Now it is more playing out, but yeah. it still predominantly is, you know, pass and move, get the ball quickly. Whereas, you know, what we did at Tottenham at the time was much more based around individual possession. So actually encouraging the players to stay on the ball a little bit longer mm. and develop that quality to do that. Uh, and that just takes that just takes a little bit more patience. So in terms, in terms of the work that you do with players, then... You know, a large, large part of it, obviously, is around the ball marshes. You went into yeah. Spurs, predominantly in the foundation phase, Chelsea predominantly in the foundation phase. Do you feel like it's 
it's something that should be more specific to the foundation phase or I'm aware that well, work yeah, I, yeah, you know what, I, I think you'll, you, you predominantly find more work there because generally the foundation phase is more about technical development, individual development. But I mean, I still think there's a, there's a massive place for it as you get older. Um, obviously, it's about when and where you do it. And obviously, you know, as obviously as the, the pitch opens up, uh, team tactics become more important. But I mean, there's still, there's always a place for players to improve. It's just mm-hmm. finding the most effective time to do that. And uh, and obviously, what you you tend to find is that you know just you know a majority of team sessions, generally a majority of academies, is just based around possession, rondo based that sort of thing. And yeah. maybe players don't get the opportunity to really work on those individual technical things, particularly in the current climate of games based training, where you know uh, now you know not a lot of you know technical teaching actually goes on anymore. Yeah, I mean, just just you know, the question that comes to me now is really not. In my in my data, I do a lot of coach education myself, delivering level ones and level twos in counties. And some of the, I'm not sure if you pay too much attention to how maybe the courses have kind of been restructured over recent years. But some would argue there's a lot less emphasis around the technical aspect of the game. On the well, there's well, yeah, there's there's a huge you know massive yeah. shift. So when obviously I remember doing my one, two, and three, and then I did then I did my youth modules, and then yeah. on you know my youth module three, I was told you know there's no such thing as one v one. And yeah. then the tutor, who is you know a very senior member of the FA, actually said, "Look at this, did a little step over and touch." It actually looked quite nice. He said, "That's got nothing to do with football." So that was the thing. So I mean, yeah, I think I think the problem was initially there were a lot of there was a big shift towards game based training. And you know, and I always say, look, people associate me with like you know unopposed work. I do do that. But you know, if I'm team training, the majority, the vast majority, you know, up to eighty percent of my session will be a games based session, small sided games, whatever. Sure. But you know, but the, the unopposed stuff is really, really important. So what I think happened was that obviously a lot of research came in. There were a lot, there were a lot of very vocal figures within the FA who maybe some of them are left now, uh, who said, "Lula, let's go game based. Let's go all the way game based." And you know, that's not the only federation who's done that. It's happening in a lot of places around the world yeah. where they've gone. They've gone maybe you know where we maybe we were too far in the unopposed section. Now they've gone too far the other way. And yeah. now I think recently it's good, like people like Paul McGuinness now, who's at the FA, who yeah. was a Man United, I was on my A license recently, he's really good. Now he's obviously come from, you know, a top academy environment where, you know, that's the difference, you know, when you work in the top academies, you understand that, you know, it's the balance between that game-based stuff and also the individual technical stuff as well. So I think they are, they are readjusting and there's more talk about 1v1 and stuff, but I think initially that was a problem. Like, you know, for instance, on my, you know, my advanced youth, uh, yeah. my, my advanced youth, you know, I had to sit through, you know, an audience with, you know, this guy who was a recruitment officer is basically telling us, you know, anything done out of a game was a waste of time. So, you know, but that's, that's, that's a problem because there were so many messages coming out, but yeah. it, it wasn't actually an official line. So I think it has now corrected slightly and they're, they're trying to try and incorporate a bit more in it. Definitely. I mean, I mean, I've, you know, having gone through the, you know, those qualifications myself is, I've noticed there's been a massive shift and they're almost kind of trying to find the right balance of, you know, that, that 1v1 and that technical side of things as opposed to more game-based training. What would well, your advice... Go on, sorry. Well, I think the main point as well, like, you know, one of my great mentors, Chris Ramsey, who obviously now is at QPR, for me, yep. is the best youth developer in, in the in, in the world. Like, I spoke to him about it and, he, you know, I said the same thing. I said, why are we not doing this? Because I even remember when I went on my youth module, I was, you know, at the time I was tot- at Tottenham, very idealistic. You know, we were producing players technically who were looked different to all the different players in the country and they had, you know, different qualities. And I was amazed. I say, why isn't everybody doing this? But I mean, you know, everyone, there's, football's a game of opinions. But uh, Chris, I said to Chris, you know, what's the issue? And he said, well, who's going to do it? And I think that's the problem because it's a very unconventional, well, un-English way yeah. of doing things, mm. doing, you know, the technical, the ball work, the ball mastery, the 1v1. And unless you've got someone who really has understand understands it and been through it, 
and then yeah. trying to do it, it's, it's, it's maybe impossible for people to try and then implement that into the courses. Definitely. And I think one of the questions I was going to ask was, you know, that is a massive challenge in terms of equipping, uh, I guess, coaches with the technical understanding and uh, I guess the underpinning of everything that's going on. So what would your advice be to coaches who are maybe looking to build that knowledge? Because obviously a lot of that, the argument is now a lot of the courses have almost lost some of that aspect of things. Well, I mean, yeah, that's a challenge. I mean, you know, for instance, you know, that's what another thing Chris said. He said, yeah, people just don't teach techniques anymore. So there's big things, yeah. you know, you know, is there an ideal technique? No, but there is decent technique. So, you know, players need help. They need support, you know, all ages, you know, and it's about understanding when and where to do it. So you just got to try, you know, and, and, and improve your knowledge, you know, and, you know, and, and try and go and see as many coaches do it. There's lots of stuff online. There's also not so good stuff online, but lots of good stuff online. But, you know, visit, so for instance, but, you know, I'm lucky so I can go and visit, you know, academies around Europe, you know, the best academies in the world and, you know, and see what they're doing and learn from their coaches who, you know, places like Ajax who have that technical philosophy, that culture of doing this all the time anyway, or, you know, sport in Lisbon or, or, you know, Dynamo Zagreb, you know, you know, the best academies in the world have that culture of developing technical players and they do a lot of technical training. So it's, yeah. not, saying, it's mm. not saying, you know, copy that, but you can go there and understand why these talent hotbeds are producing loads of technical type players and some aren't maybe. Sure. You touched on it a little bit a, a few minutes back in terms of, you know, if you did a group session, it would still be focused on the ball marshal thing, but obviously more game-based. Could you want to just offer us a bit more insight around that for, you know, some of the listeners who may be not too sure what you mean by that? Well, yeah, well, so, you know, so for instance, you know, it's, it was it was different very much. You know, my sessions at Tottenham looked different to they did at Chelsea because there were different expectations in terms of me being a 9s coach or 11s coach. But, for example, you know, if I was going to do a session, you know, the first you know, 15, 20 minutes would all be like ball mastery leading into some, you know, passing maybe in pairs, just good quality ball striking mm -hmm. and then working into some 1v1, specific 1v1 work. And then, for instance, if I'm working with like an under nines group, then it would all be, you know, 3v3, 4v4s or like 5v5 type formats, game type formats. So you're still getting that quality time individually with the ball, short, sharp work, mm -hmm. that ball mastery, but then you're leading into the small-sided games, which is really important, the most important part. Uh, but obviously having it more um the the numbers a lot smaller because you get more skillful street style sort of outcomes uh, and then like so getting that good combination basically so if we give you an example so at spurs for example you know a typical session in the nines would be you know 20 minutes of ball mastery or passing and like 1v1 for 20 minutes and then small sided games you know i mean and maybe similar within the 11s but also we do more possession type things in the second half or that thing sure. Uh, Chelsea is much more, you, you know, they wanted actually more, uh, you know, game-related tactical stuff, which is fair enough, but you just still, you've got to try and get those outcomes within small-sided games. You can still do, do, you know what I mean? So, for example, if you've got, you know, 16 players or, for instance, 14 players, you know, you're doing two groups working together, two small groups working together, and you still can get the principles of possession out on that rather than doing a big 8v8 sort of thing when maybe there's only one ball between those 16 players and there's not a lot of t contacts with the ball, which is going to be an issue. Sure. And just go on, Ben. Yeah, sorry. I just wanted to say, um, like, you've already kind of uh, touched on it. And I'm not suggesting anything by what you said anyway, but, like, uh, how how would you give advice to a coach that may be going into an environment that, like, not everything obviously completely aligns with um, their thoughts of the game? Because what, what you said there was quite good because, like, you, you, went into, you went into Chelsea and you knew that it wasn't, like, the the idealistic environment that you had at uh, Tottenham. So you had to kind of, uh, you know, find your sort of route through where you can still get the individual development in it um, with the 
possession-based uh, sort of philosophy that they gave you? How how would you recommend it to any other coach that well, is going into uh, yeah, that's I not completely? I wouldn't say like I, I think what happened was that I came from a very you know like I said that environment of Spurs I very had that sort of my my uh, Spurs type shades or hat on and I and it yeah. took me a while to adapt and you know Chelsea was very different in terms of everything with bigger spaces much bigger formats uh, but initially I was a bit resistant to it but actually what happened was that it actually improved me as a coach massively because I learned a new way to coach. So mm. I had to open my eyes because there's, there's more than one way to do things. Do you know what I mean? In terms of where Spurs was all tight spaces, loads of skillful, loads of ball marshal. This was a bit different. And I did develop. I did learn. And, there is, and I took loads of value from that. So I'm not saying maybe one was better than the other. But I mean, what happened was that I still then had to put, they brought me in for a reason. So I still put my spin on it and added yeah. something to that. So for instance, I added like a 1v1 session to that, the technical night we did. And, you know, I did a lot of like, you know, rotation technical stuff as well. So it's just about you know, adding, trying to add something to an amazing, you know, that's Chelsea's one of the best academies in the world. So I'm not going in there saying, you know, they don't know what they're doing. It's just like, they're saying it's amazing. So how maybe can I add my little bit to that as well? And that's why I, I think I did. Maybe I thought of, you know, found a good balance. I, I took the good experiences from Spurs and all the good, excellent ones from Chelsea as well to amazing academies and, and help build my own sort of develop me and my methodology and my coach as well. So, but I do think as well, as you become more experienced and you see, more ways of doing things and you travel around the world, you do become more opinionated and you say, well, actually, you know, now, you know, I, I, I do think there's a certain way you should be doing things. But yeah. my the answer to your question, winding back, I mean, as a young coach, if you get an opportunity to, to work in an academy, I'd say you've you got to do, you know, even if you don't necessarily in yeah, a vertical degree what you're doing. Yeah, because you're going to learn because, you know, any academy is, you know, are going to have top coaches. And that's probably the one thing I miss from working in an environment like that is that, working next to so many unbelievable coaches and learning every day from people doing d- different things. Definitely. And just, you know, just touching on the, obviously, you know, you've developed a bit of a specialist with the one-to-one stuff. I mean, some would say that you have done it quite ahead of this, you know, ahead of time in terms of right now we're seeing a lot of influx of one-to-one coaches, specialist coaches. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, to some extent, you've become like a bit of a revolutionary in that respect. Well, I think what happened was that I came back and I didn't. I was probably the most organised to do it. So a lot of people were doing it and doing it on the side as like, you know, a little bit extra. But that was my main gig and I sort of sound a niche and sort of specialises in it. So I started yeah. a company and I got myself, got PDA football. So we've got, you know, 15 coaches all around the country. So I sort of understood like, you know, I found something I'm really good at try and create sort of like capitalize on it. Whereas other people were doing like other companies were going into schools and doing other stuff. I sort of always shifted away from it. said, look, I'm going to be a specialist in this one area. And mm-hmm. then over the, you know, over the course of like almost two decades now I've become, like, you know, managed to become one of the leaders in the field, as you said earlier. So it was definitely much, you know, that's, that was, I was, you know, I was, I was very much fortunate that and understanding that and say, right. And that's what I'd say to most people, you know, you've got to understand that. You know, you've got to find your niche or what you're really good at. And as the old adage said, you know, not everyone's going to be Pep Guardiola and good enough to catch the first, coach the first team. Are you going to be a specialist maybe in the younger ages or you know, technical individual stuff, a bit like what I do or, or something yeah. else, or, you know, the SSC. So finding that, that niche. And answer your question, yeah, there is lots of people doing it. And, you know, obviously it's like any industry, you know, and, it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and a lot of people say, oh, yeah, look, everyone's getting on the bandwagon. But almost, you know, in the current environment, you can't actually – blame people because you know a lot of people are out of work they're not coaching they're doing the team coaching so it's a way people to go and earn some extra money and and like any industry there's some really good people at it and some people are not necessarily good at it for me it's that's why i say to me you know the difference between me and the guy down the road i've been doing it for nearly 20 years it's my specialism and you know i work with top premier league players and beginners for like nearly two decades so that's that's my yeah. differentiation but like i said you know this it's, uh, it's like any market it's a, it's a big wide open space 
Yeah, I just want to take you back a couple of minutes. That you just, you know, something that you thought was quite interesting. I think it would be very good to get your insight on it. Talk about finding your niche. Now, how important? Because you know, there's a lot of coaches that I come across in particular. You know, they say they want to do this, they want to do that, but it may not be, as you said, something that they're particularly good at, or maybe not be something that they're, not, I guess, passionate enough about. How important is it? And what steps do you think that need to be taken for you to maybe come across and find your niche in that respect? Well, I just, I just think you've got to find what you're good at. You know, so, you know, probably very early on, you know, when I was doing the, the nines at, at Spurs, you know, David Dodge, you know, works at Reading and said, look, you know, you are, you could be the best here. You know, you come stick with doing the nines. Man United are going to come and get you and give you a hundred grand a year, you know, or whatever. He's joking, but he <laughs> very much so understood that, you know, that was my niche, you know, and at that time, like everyone probably said, yeah, but I want to go, you know, work with the 16s or blah, blah, blah. But I mean, so I think it's important to do that and understand it and find where you, because for me, I, you know, I, I've always been driven to be, you know, one of the best in the world or, you know, one of the best, you know, a leader in the field, where I, whatever I'm doing. So I need to, you know, rather than, you know, me going doing that and moving up and maybe not being the strongest in the tactical elements of the game, maybe this is one part where I can feel, yeah, you know, this is my specialism. I really focus in there and work hard and become a student of the game in this area. I can be one of the best, you know, I can be an outlier in this area. And that was, that was always really important to me. It may not be that important to other people, but I think, you know, if you aspire to work at a high level, you know what I mean? I think it is important to understand, you know, I can go and compete and be the best here at that. You know, I can walk into a, you know, Man United or Man City and go and coach, you know, if I'm whatever I I want to coach, you know, and say, yeah, I want to go and that's my target and set yourself targets and try and work to them. Definitely. And obviously setting yourself some targets is key about is there any steps that Saul Isaacs and Hurst particularly takes in terms of keeping himself motivated and inspired to keep them on track with those targets? Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, you know, for me, you know, it's more of a challenge sometimes now. So it's understanding what I want to do and, and where I want to go. So for me, you know, for my, my journey, my road for, you know, initially it was, you know, working through the academy system. I got to a certain point where it was, it was impossible for me to carry on working at Chelsea and then obviously keep working as an individual coach and have my, my, my personal football coach, the app business. So I had to yeah. make a decision, which was probably the, one of the toughest decisions I made in my life, to step away from the academy football at Chelsea, the biggest you know, uh, you know academy around, and to do that. So now my you know my my targets are very much generally set around. Obviously, I have stuff I want to do with the business and with the app and getting into more clubs and getting around the world. But obviously, individually, I still want to be you know the best, one of the best individual coaches in the world, and and how am I going to carry on doing that? How am I going to carry on developing? So that's more of a challenge now because if you're in a club, you know, you have a very much set CPD program. I have to set my own CPD program because I'm an individual and that's why I visit a lot of clubs abroad and travel and mm-hmm. talk to a lot of people in my podcast and stuff like that. Yeah, um, has has been said already, um, there's obviously a huge uh, increase in individual coaches uh, coming out. Uh, for those that are, you know, looking to aspire like, to be the best like uh, you are, what sort of skill sets do you think uh, a coach will need? Well, I, you know, experience is the main one. So people say to mm. me, "I want to do this, do that." You know, but you've got to remember, I, you know, literally, I've, you know, I've been, I started one-to-one coaching in two thousand and two. Do you know what I mean? So mm. it's nearly as you know, getting on, you know, eighteen, you know, years. You know, going to be twenty years, a couple of years. So the main thing is obviously, you know, learning your trade like everything else. Try and become a specialist. Understand, work with as many players as you can, and watch other coaches work and. You know, and try and develop that. So it's like any other, you know, industry you're going to be in, you've just got to put the work in, basically. It doesn't come overnight. Do you know what I mean? So I'm fortunate now, you know, where, you know, I'm speaking to, you know, players from top four clubs a day on WhatsApp talking about their games coming up and stuff like that. But I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, that's taken me an awful lot of time and hard work and energy and, 
you know, you know, um, determination to get there. So my 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 question would be just go out there like anything and do it, get experience, learn, see if you're good at it, see if you want to do it, and then try and and develop that and work really hard to to be as best as you can. Mm. And you've read um you've already kind of uh, touched on it a bit earlier. Um, a lot of people kind of always associate um the one v one and technical side with the younger age groups, uh, but uh, as you can see from uh, you know the England youth setup, they now started incorporating that in possession and out possession coaches. Do you think that will eventually get to a stage where um, within like you know first team and old you know PDP uh, like levels that will actually start to incorporate a lot more of individual specialist coaches? I think I think yeah, it's inevitable. So. I think now you come a point where you do that. So, for example, like I actually have that, have the skills, 1v1 specialists to work across the age groups, you know, you know, yeah. and so like the older boys who go and do one specific 1v1 sessions and stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah, so you can already see it with Alan Russell who works for the, the you know, the yeah. first team, the FA superior striker. Like he's, uh, so he's doing really well. So, you know, they've taken the, you know, someone in like that. So I think it's inevitable, but I think there has to be like a culture shift, a culture change. And like we talked about yeah. a bit earlier in terms of like, you know, like I said, the FA have done really well recently in terms of, you know, moving back again to incorporate and encourage the ball mastery in the 1v1. But I still don't think they have the clarity in terms of a you know, clear vision as to how we're going to tell clubs to do it. So, I mean, yeah, but I mean, yeah. I think it is inevitable and more clubs will, will, will bring it in. Just, just interesting on that last one there, do you think there's a massive challenge for the FA within that? Because obviously the Premier League essentially have a massive foot, don't they? Yeah, I mean, this is difficult, isn't it? Because, like, the Premier League... Well, that's the other issue, like, because reality is is that, you know, the, the FA have very little power anyway. So, you know, it's difficult. And yeah. obviously, as, you know, you know, the, you know, academies do what they want, really. And obviously, to, them, to be FP, probably fair, that's sometimes that's a good idea. So, in terms, you know, but, you know, different academies, and you know, have very different methodology and different ways to do things. So, I mean, for instance, yeah. I remember, again, from my advanced youth, we went up there and they were like, yeah, maybe do this. Or what do you do? And at the time, I was really sort of frustrated. I said, no, you should tell us what to do. But then actually reflecting, is pretty, that was pretty harsh because in reality, you know, you've got, you've got all the clubs in, in, in England there who do things different ways. And, you know, and, and they're sort of, you, know, you can't, a lot of clubs are not going to be told how to do things. So, I mean, it's difficult yeah. for them to say that. Whereas other federations, you know, will say, this is what we want. This is how you do it. This is very clear sort of, Thing. But like you said, because the Premier League has all the power, maybe the FA doesn't have the power to maybe, you know, implement that. Sure. So, you know, just um, moving forward, then, what, is, what would you say is one of your biggest bugbears when it comes to coaching? Then? Uh, just like, just like, you know, for example, you know, not enough time, not enough ball time individually, sent, not enough time on the players given on the ball, basically. So even like in the warm-ups, like, you know, whatever age group, like if you're doing a warm-up, first of all, you know, if you work in a foundation phase, you shouldn't be doing a warm-up anyway. Do you know what I mean? So you don't need to do, mm. you know, a dynamic with players who you don't need to necessarily do that. But do if you're going to yeah. do it, do it with the ball. Do you know what I mean? And all also this, like, all everything, you know, I had this argument with this guy on Twitter the other day, you know, he's a level one coach, he's doing positional games <laughs> with an under-12s team. Yeah. Which is fair enough, but it's like, you know, you're on a, goodness me, you're a level one coach. What do you know about positional games? I mean, it's, positional games are really difficult to actually do properly. So, yeah, do your do your yeah. rondos, do all that sort of thing, but also do your individual ball mastery as well and you know that's the thing so there's a lot of like you know people for me you know people like there's a big mis- there's a big misunderstanding about ball mastery in terms of people say oh well firstly it's not game related that's wrong all ball mastery should be game related all my ball mastery is linked specifically to 1v1 within the game and two people a lot of people yeah. misunderstand as well or they don't realise that the, the 
the, the tremendous like power it can have in terms of supporting players' movement and developing the player, the player's uh, body for the modern game, and obviously improving mm. confidence as well with young players, whether you're an academy player or not, or a grassroots players so you know it's about me you know it's, it's about having a balance so Rene Munnerstein said it said it best we said you know you've got your possession Cruyff based you know Pep Guardiola philosophy but then you've got the individual ball work as well you put that together then you've got the perfect you know development uh, program basically so, but it's just about how that what that looks like and you know, like I said before you know might be a small part of it but that individual technical work is really important. It's just a question then, you know, it's a conversation I've had with a few coaches recently around that technical development and also the, you know, whether, whether practice should be unopposed or opposed. Like ultimately, I do believe that no matter what you're doing, it should be game-related. Um, however, even when it's unopposed, I feel that it should still be game-related. Uh, and you know, For me, that's maybe providing some sort of context where that particular action that, they, that you're asking them to perform or, they've been, uh, or they are carrying out is got context and reference around it if that makes sense how important is it for that is that for you in, in that respect because I feel like a lot of people who go down the ball mastery and if you, as you said it can be misunderstood around what it actually means but yeah of course I mean, it, yeah it's mastery. vital everything has to have a context and that's the thing everything I do so people for example I posted something on Twitter today and it's got loads of like you know and I don't mind sometimes create debate and obviously you know no such thing as bad publicity but it's like a skill combination of a young player who's like unbelievable tech so but the idea is that, you know, the reason we do this skill combination is the one is to challenge the player on the ball. But all the movements are functional movements from that you'd get in football that are all functional mm. 1v1 movements. So we don't do anything, you know, freestyle moves or those sorts of things. It's all functional yeah. 1v1 moves. So the context is right. We're working on trying to shift your balance side to side, those those movements that's going to help you move and, and to create the skies and feints and those sorts of things. So it's always got to be content. It's always got to be a reason linked to the game. And then some people don't understand. Some people maybe misunderstand and say, well, yeah, but how can you have decision-making without defenders? Everything's decision. So until a skill becomes automatic, there's always decisions involved. So I'm learning. So for instance, yeah. if I'm working with a wide player, we're working with different you know, variations of different crossing. He has to make a decision how he, how the, how, know, how he's going to put, going to go on the ball how the ball reacts to his foot and understand those sorts of the flights of the ball and stuff like that. So there's always decision-making in there. And people say, oh, yeah, but, you know, there's no defenders. But, yeah, that might come in. But the problem is if you've got no base technique anyway, you're not going to be able to form that in the game. It's impossible. You can't do that. You might pull one out, in the, you know, one out of the hat like, as a lucky thing. So, you know, what's happened is sure. people are reverting to, to the, you know, oh, yeah, everything's got to be a game-based stuff, which these, you know, pseudo-specialists are talking about on Twitter all, all the time, they, everything in the game. But what, what you're having is that all, all these young players have got really poor technique. So a lot of players get away yeah. with it. And a lot, of, a lot of coaches don't see the poor technique because it's just it's like a scrappy game. But maybe they don't see what really good technique normally looks like. So it's, that's my, sure. my frustrating to you know, see you on work and say, of course, everything's got to be linked to the game. You know what I mean? We're not trying to perform... Know, produce like you know freestylers that sort of thing. We're trying to produce technical footballers, and then the the the, the battles and you know getting the player to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, and then getting other people sure. to say, look, this mm. is why I'm doing it. Basically, if you need to legitimise yourself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because you know, like I said, there's a conversation I was having recently with some coach where I basically said that you know if you're going to go with the unopposed work, which I, I I'm not I'm not against. Um, however, I think it's important that the players do understand where this particular, I guess practice or action that you're asking them to yeah, but then it's, then it's, yeah but then it's a question as well what you're doing so for instance like the skill combination stuff is you know that's a physical we're trying to get physical outcomes there so we're challenging the player on yeah. the ball in terms of how he moves left to right you know and like I said you know a lot of people don't understand about the importance of ball mastery is the improving balance and coordination working on the weak side 
Now, if I improve that, mm. that's going to improve my weak foot striking. So that's really important. So I'm challenging the player on the ball and then that will lead into the game stuff. And also the player being able to develop this extreme technique will, will then allow the player to play with their head up. So it's like a natural progression. So it might only be a small part of it, but that's a really important part. And then we're going to go into your, you know, more formal type, you know, game-based stuff. Sure. So, you know, a lot of experiences so far. You know, you talk about 18 years plus almost um, doing the one-to-one stuff and becoming a specialist and that. What would you say has been your biggest challenge of the coaching journey to date? And if you've been able to deal with it, how have you gone about doing that? Um, it's difficult. Like, like I said, there was real challenge leaving Chelsea. That was a real big decision yeah. because it's huge, mm. huge club, huge brand. And stepping away, a lot of people said, well, you know, that's a good decision. But like, I got a lot of, me- I got some mentors and mentors are an important part of any, any sort of field. And I said, you know, if, I said, you know, if you've been good once, you've always, you'll always be good. So I just had a, that was a real brave step in, in going away and, you know, trying to build my own brand, if you like. The other challenge has been that, trying to build myself as a brand, you know, so I can do that and having to develop that and, and develop the business acumen and as an entrepreneur as well to try and, you know, be like a, you know, a business owner and try and, and get my personal football coach off the ground. So it's been, a, I have to up, upskill myself in that area as well, which has been a challenge. And then obviously, you know, it's just like, it's pretty much all consuming all the time, running your own business and trying to do that for the social media and all the stuff around it. So it's an ongoing sort of challenge. And um, I just wanted to ask, and uh, just strip it back and go back to the field a bit, just for those that are always looking to individually develop their players within like group, uh, group sort of base exercises. So I'll say like I'm more so like t- from 2v2s upwards. Uh, how does the breakdown of letting them try and then showing them solutions uh, work for you in such an exercise yeah it, it depends what we're talking about really so you know the great thing the level it, it, yeah. the great things about 2v2 and 3v3s is just it's spontaneous and you're naturally going to get those great outcomes as well so you know mm. most of that is going to mean just going to let them have free play and it might be a little thing about okay boys listen or girls like you know think about your space here so you know he's got the ball can we stretch it but if we you know just the, the simple principles of play in possession height width and depth out of possession make the pitch compact and that might be the only thing and then he's just letting the, the spontaneity come from that. So, the, you know, just guiding them a little bit and just supporting them and creating space for each other and then just letting them play. So, for instance, you know, I mean, that might just be the simplest things like that. And then, you know, the, the more technical stuff at the beginning when you work with the ball and understanding the ball, just core techniques, really. It's core techniques and it's the 1v1. And then you're just doing your, your small game-based stuff and letting, you know, the stuff happen. So, you know, it's not going to be, okay, I want you to just come in here. Can you go and play a wall pass here and bang, bang them? you've got to try and move away from being too structured, especially with the younger players uh, and try and just create practices where you're going to get those natural quality outcomes anyway. I agree. And um, you've obviously uh, kind of touched it earlier. Would you say uh, Chris has been like your major influence in your career so far? And also what is like the biggest lesson that you've learned from him? Well, I think when I first started Spurs, I was worked to Chris and Danny Buck as well, was a big influence in my career. Mm-hmm. who's was now at Arsenal. Like they really taught me about, you now I was a good skills coach and I gave me the opportunity, but they taught me about how to work and develop, you know, elite players. It's a different, it's a big jump up from grassroots to academy football. Do you know what I mean? And the mentality and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I learned a lot from those guys. and I still talk to those guys regularly. So that, you know, it's really important. So in terms of, you know, what I learned from them, it's just about, you know, the the key philosophy and, and then sort of sticking to that, if you like, in terms of the technical training and, and 
the, the and, and and working remember to work with the individual and do you know what I mean and moving to Chelsea mm. was a lot different in terms of you know loads of world-class coaches there but working with people who were like for instance Paul Waldron who was my line manager in terms of you know the most organized uh unbelievably you know organized and in the personal skills in terms of dealing with parents and dealing with players and dealing with coaches mm. so that really sort of supported me in terms of as a you know that that side of a professional development so I took lots of different things and from different clubs and, and I continue to try and, you know, keep trying learning. Just curious as well, uh, so just in terms of what you're doing, obviously doing one-to-one stuff, what does that look like for someone during, during the lockdown? Uh, well, and individuals, well, to be honest, in the, in the lockdown, I didn't do anything. So I, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> do any, so I don't really do, like, I haven't got gardens, so I didn't do, like, Zoom calls and stuff like that. I spoke to some players and set stuff on the app and stuff like that. Uh, but obviously now we're out. One to one coaching is fine. We can do that. Mm. So that's that's been a big, obviously a big blessing in terms of just mentally getting out and stuff. But to be honest, I mean, doing like my personal football coach was so busy in terms, it was unprecedented in terms of the amount of clubs we had on board who were using the app as a resource for their players and stuff. It was, you know, that really kept me busy. So I was lucky as that as well. Brilliant. And just a bit on that note, you, know, you talked about some clubs that you kind of got partnerships with, and some of them are Premier League and you know Cat One, Cat Two clubs, aren't they? What does that relationship look like, and how much of a part do you play in the in the? Yes, yeah, so it depends. Like you know, so you know, we got Wolves, Wolverhampton Wanderers using their academy here, so they very much they use, originally it was just using their foundation phase, so all players would get access to the app. During the lockdown, all the whole academy used it, all the way from uh, sevens all the way up to sixteens. So then, basically, you know, so they, it's a good thing about the app is obviously players can upload their own videos, the so coaches can look at the players, what they're doing, and obviously coach and. The, uh, the club can also check the usage of the players. They can set players particular tasks from the app. You know, there's a lot of control in it, and obviously it's all branded and stuff like that. So clubs use it in different mm. ways, and this just gives the club a, a quality, consistent, you know, world-class, you know, technical program they can give to your players. But I mean, the vast majority of our clubs, you know, around the world are just grassroots clubs, organisations who want to give their players some quality work to do away from training. Obviously, the My Personal Football Coach app was designed as like a supplement to team training. Uh, but now, obviously, during the lockdown, it turned into a replacement. So, you know, we're lucky because, you know, four years in, uh, there's hundreds of stuff on the apps. It's like, I, you know, you're never mm. going to get bored of it. And also, we release new footage every week. So it's different. Mm. Like, you know, it's a more of a crowded market now. More apps are coming out there. But obviously, the difference between my personal football coach and other apps is obviously my experience. You know, I'm an individual coach. I've worked, I'd say, for 20 years in the top clubs as a skill specialist. I'm not a software company. Uh, obviously, and also, like, these top clubs are using it as well so it's just important to keep you know developing it and and uh try and make it as best good as possible definitely and for anyone listening in now how could they go about maybe accessing yeah well anyone can shows. go and if you go to mypersonalfootballcoach.com uh purchase a, a program and download the app uh, you can anyone can do it it's the majority of our users you know the tens of thousands of users around the world are individuals so we've got programs five to seven program eight to eleven twelve to sixteen seventeen plus so We've got five to adult. We've got a program for you. There's position-specific courses on there. There's stuff for coaches. So, yeah, just go to mypersonalfootballcoach.com, choose your program. Uh, you can try it out. If you choose the, my, the Dynamic Ballmaster programs, you get a seven-day money-back guarantee. You can try it for free. And then, yeah, just try and access it. Basically, the idea that, you know, wherever you are in the world, you can do some quality technical training. Uh, it's a step-by-step process to improve your game, basically. Fantastic. So, Foundation Face Specialist, one-to-one specialist uh, entrepreneur now. 
What's next for Salt Islington? You know what? It's like, I thought that's a lot recently, and you know, for me, I, and I speak to a lot. You know, I, I, I still want to improve, and I, I you know, I, you know, and people say, would I go back into academy football? I would. I think I'd just like to go back in as an individual specialist at a club. You know, do that somewhere to like you know, you know, work with the, as a across the academy again, that sort of thing, or maybe you know, even working for a federation or first team level stuff like that. Uh, but still, like you know, I'm I'm blessed to what I do. You know, I've got a successful business. I, I'm self-sufficient. There's no rush. I can afford to wait for an opportunity. So, carry on doing that. Mm. I'm working with some unbelievable players at the moment. You know, anyway. So, just uh, carry on doing what you're doing, but always looking to the next uh, challenge. Really. Sure. Just on that, you know, have, have you thought about maybe where you feel your preference is around that? Because obviously, you, know, you, you, you do the one-to-one specialist stuff. Do you prefer working with younger players or the older players? Uh, it's not. You know what? It's nice. It's a nice mix. Do you know what I mean? The, the, yeah. the, the mm. challenge you get out, or when you're working with like a Premier League player or a, a Championship player or any pro, you know, the, the the challenge in that is, you know, is is uh, is, is 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 great. It's intense, but that's sort of the buzz anyway. So the challenge, you know, what can yeah. I bring to you know, the session where I'm going to challenge this player who's unbelievable? But then the same thing, you know, I love working with, you know, talented players, under race and under nines, or even, you know, grassroots players. So I think it's nice having the contrast and having that mix and answer your question. But, you know, you know it's, it's difficult, yeah. as you, you know, once you start working with, you know, academy football, you know, those top players, you do get that. It is like a, almost like an adrenaline, almost like a drug. You get that because you get so much back from them. So, you know, and you always, yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's always going to be, you're going to naturally to that so I mean yeah and answer your question it is definitely that's where and that's why I miss I do miss that environment you know in terms of day to day being around those those top players and the academies and other coaches and stuff like that so just just you know just talking a bit about your your your, your work that you do do how do you go about deciding what work needs to be guess, uh, I guess taken off in terms of the syllabus for that individual player essentially or the scheme of work well it depends so you know for younger players it's much more sort of general or global if you like you know in terms you work in all those tea kennel areas whereas you get older up you know the ydp and the you know, the pdp you know or you know the or and the, the pro end then it's much more position specific so we're working on things you know which are going to make the players you know more efficient more effective you know and stand out so you know it's always really based around 1v1 and you know end product so he's a wide player how can we support you in, you know, getting into areas where you're going to get more end product and get more assists and more goals, if you like, uh, you know, essentially, you know, mm-hmm. midfielders, how can I you know, get on the ball and stay on the ball and then, you know, try and play forward. So it's always understanding, you know, where the player plays and then how we can make them, you know, really, you know, really just stand out more in game or make more of an impact in game. So, I mean, so that's generally going to be around, you know, either, like I said, scoring goals, uh, assisting in goals, on getting on the ball and staying on the ball under pressure, really, and just supporting them in, in those areas. Sure, I'm just interested to know as well how much how much of an influence I guess the club they may be playing for at the time has on the type of work you do or the way the the way that might yeah look. it's t- it's tricky. So for example, you know, uh, working with a player in the championship last year who had you know um, three different managers in in a season. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so like you know, for instance, we you know we work a lot on obviously. Um, individual possession and you know the, and then, then the manager saying let's just pass it just like get rid of it but then you know we see him on like you know I'm watching him you know on uh, on TV and he's doing stuff we do it it's really good but it depends obviously it can be tricky so for instance I'm working with the current players in one of the top clubs and it, and it is really they've had a change you know they've had a change in management it's a different sort of philosophy so I've got to understand in terms of his position obviously making him more effective but understanding how that looks like in, in his within the, the, that picture so it is a bit of a challenge because I'm on the outside, but you know the the um, the principles are still the same. How are we going to make him 
you know, stand out more and be, you know, a first team regular or if you like, or be, you know, the best player in the yeah. team. And that's going to be, you know, assists and goals, basically, especially playing in that final, that higher up the pitch. So, yeah, mm. it, it can be tricky. And, you know, but that was, that's all part of the challenge, really. Yes, I mean, you've got to be quite flexible, I guess, in your approach and how many different, I guess, philosophies that you kind of play into as well, isn't it, really? Yeah, of course, it's easier. I tell um, me football's easier because, you know, it's a lot more general, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It makes it obviously, yeah, that, mm. you know, top end is, is a more, more demanding. So, you know, having been someone who works with, I guess, current pros and people who have obviously gone on to make a real career in the game and, you know, having experience working in, you know, two of the best academies in the country, essentially, what would you say is that key or key characteristics maybe that you see that have allowed people to maybe be successful and go on to become pro footballers and maybe those who have fallen aside? Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, you know, what is that little magic thing that makes players go a little bit further than others? Because you see a lot of talented players that fall beside the wayside. But, mm. uh, you know, a lot of it is mentality. So, for instance, Max Ahrens is a big one who got a lot of press for last year. He's at Norwich. You know, he went, you know, from 14 to 16 without a club. Do you know what I mean? Well, you know, I got him into Chelsea, went to Tottenham, got knocked back, knocked back, but still... You know, had the belief I'm going to play there. He always used to say, me, oh, I know I'm good enough for that level. Uh, but, long, you know, many players do that anyway and don't make it, but you've got there, you know, but so having that sort of self belief and that drive and desire and discipline to work constantly hard and keep working and keep battling and keep doing and understanding, you know, yeah, football's like that. So, for instance, I'm working with you know, a player at the moment who's just, who's just left one of the big clubs and he's going to go to another club. You know, he's one of the top talents in the country in an academy, but you know, maybe that little knockback has made him work a little bit harder now and, and almost focus a bit more. Mm. And, you know, we have a, a sports psychologist at Chelsea. Dave Collins is one of the best in the country. Amazing guy who's talked about the rocky road to success and you maybe need that. So the best players have that. You know, you go up and down. You have that up and down rather than if you're the, the best player all the way through, it's really easy. Then suddenly you get the first team level, you have your first sort of issue or you drop, then you just tank. So, you know, you have to create, yeah. you know, the challenges and on the road, those, those, those players get to the top often have had you know, those more challenging ways to get there. And so but it's difficult to put one key thing in it. Obviously, you need to have the ability, but you also need to have the mentality as well and be able to reproduce it. Definitely. Mm. Just uh, so, you know, sort of appreciate your time, you know, just wanted to kind of just finish off with this one, really. And if you had 60 seconds to kind of, I guess, leave the listeners with one nut, golden nugget to take away from this, uh, this discussion, what would that be? Just like for me, like uh, 1v1 is key. Do you know what I mean? It's, you know, so I speak to the head of the Belgium uh, FA the other day, one of my podcasts, he said, you know, that 1v1, that's, everything revolves around 1v1. And, and it's interesting because I used to speak to, it's going to be more than 60 seconds, but don't worry about it. But, and I speak to like the, 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 the <laughs> like someone's, and I, was, I, did a, I did like a conference call with Loli's Italian coach and they said, oh, well, you know, the head of academy of just one of the big clubs in uh, Italy, one, series, one said, there's no such thing as 1v1. So it's interesting, you've got different opinions, real different things. But me, you know, I've maybe been a bit like an obsessive about it, you know. And I may even remember, you know, John McDermott at the time, my boss at Tottenham, saying, you know, he, he was a big 1v1. So stop going on about 1v1, do you know what I mean? But, it's like, <laughs> but I, think it's, I think it's key, like, if you can teach players how to get on the ball, stand the ball, manipulate the ball and dominate that situation, the rest of the game, it, it becomes so easy. And, and that's my, my, that was my, my main thing to coach to take away. You know, I've seen it, for instance, you know, the guy, the young players at Spurs who we just, you know, just battered with technical stuff, technical stuff, technical stuff. So when it came to the under-11s, mm-hmm. we opened the game up and and we started to work on possession. The one-touch stuff was so easy. It was so easy to do the, the, yeah. the rondos and stuff because they were technically so amazing. And so that's why I say, like, real focus on that technical stuff. Obviously, make it we'll always ready to the game. And then, like, you know, don't try and rush into the adult game too quickly. Make it playground-type stuff as possible. And then, the, and then you'll see down the line it's a lot easier 
to do that. But the problem is if you do it the other way around and you get to 13, 14, you don't have that technical ability. It's almost impossible to get that same sort of level, I think. Mm, mm. Just, so just one last question to tail off on that then. So, you know, going back all those years now, if you could speak to, to yourself starting out as a coach, what would your... What was the what would be the one bit of advice that you give them? Um, I don't know. Maybe I was a bit too sort of like you know idealistic at the beginning. Maybe you know, open my mind. I'm not sure, babe. It's difficult because you know at that time working with Chris and Danny, like you know, you were you know you'd almost walk through the gates of hell for Chris because you was you were such an idealist and you just believed in it and you having such good things. So it's always just you know just trying to develop and learn. You know, and being you know, it's difficult to look back now. It's like you know it's you know. It's, and I'm pretty happy when I'm fortunate with my journey, how it's come working those two different amazing clubs and working under so many people. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's been a good ride so far. Brilliant. Well, it's all, it's been a very, you know, engaging, interesting conversation with you today. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Hopefully you've been. Oh yeah. We appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me on guys. It's been, been led. Thank you very much. Definitely, it's our pleasure. Um, if you just want, if you want to just finish off by just letting the listeners know where they could get in touch with you. Yeah, find me on Instagram at my football coach one or Twitter at my football coach or my personal football coach. You can always email me at saul at my personal football coach.com. I'm always around if you want to have a chat, you want to talk about coaching, I'm always available. Well, there you have it, guys. It's another edition of the Coaches Network Insight Series where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. Please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.